Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. Creators of President Donald Trump's blueprint to control drug prices, called American Patients First, say it represents real reform. However, critics see a pulled punch to the pharmaceutical industry. Mary Caffrey, the managing editor of the American Journal of Managed Care's evidence-based series, spoke with Harvard healthcare economist, Dr. Michael Chernu, who is the co-editor-in-chief of AJMC, to discuss elements of the Trump administration proposal to control drug prices. Dr. Chernu is also a former vice chair of the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission. Dr. Chernu, in your opinion, what are the most important elements of the Trump administration's proposal for bringing down drug prices? The most important element is actually something that's not there, which is the ability of Medicare to negotiate drug prices. Advocates of negotiation assume an outcome of that negotiation, and I'm not completely sure that the negotiations would work in the U.S., they work in other countries, and that the advocates of the negotiation would be happy with the outcomes. But nevertheless, it is the case that I think many people were expecting or hoping that the new initiative would involve strong price negotiation, and it's not there. And I think that's the most important part, what's not there. Apart from that, the provisions that are actually there, which I think are important, are the provisions that promote competition. So that includes easier access to biosimilars, limiting certain practices that prevent entry of generics, um, those types of provisions to try and promote competition, which is, I think, what was done instead of stronger government involvement in price setting. As you mentioned, the original idea that was advocated on the campaign trail was for direct government negotiation. There's been a lot of discussion that this new proposal calls for more involvement of the private sector and an expansion of their role in negotiating prices in Part D. What are the pluses and minuses of this approach? The advantage of having the private sector manage the negotiation is there's some flexibility related to what people might demand and um, some ability for some people to get access to more drugs, uh, perhaps, than other people in a range of ways, very much the way Secretary Azar lays it out. The disadvantage, of course, is with a bunch of competing health plans, there's no way they're going to have the bargaining clout of the U.S. government should the U.S. government elect to exercise all of their bargaining clout. A lot of the discussion from Dr. Scott Gottlieb at FDA and others has focused on the role of rebates, and this plan calls for revisiting the safe harbor provision under the anti-kickback statute and the general role of rebates in this process. Is it fair to put so much focus on rebates as opposed to drug prices themselves? You know, over the years, we have created a system that has grown to drive everybody a bit crazy. And not only has it obscured the prices of drugs for a whole variety of reasons, it's made it really difficult for policymakers and other stakeholders to really understand what's going on. The premise of your question is exactly right in that what really matters is the ultimate price paid for drugs. And in fact, it is the case that 
drug prices after you take into account rebates have risen much more slowly than drug prices before you take into account the rebates. Most of the rhetoric around rising drug prices focuses on the spending before the rebates are applied, largely because you can't get access to data on the rebates. So, you know, if the pharma companies want people to talk about the post-rebate price, it would be helpful if they had information on the rebates. But that part aside, it's certainly reasonable to focus on the rebates, but the fundamental problem is not um, around the rebates. It is around the overall prices of drugs. That, of course, is super important because it's the high overall prices of drugs that both encourage innovation, which is a good thing, but discourage access and place a, a burden on um, on patients to need access to these new drugs. So that's where the sort of dilemma lies. I think it is fine to focus on the rebates as a problem in how the market works, but I think it's simplistic to think that focusing on the rebates will fundamentally change the basic problem, which is um, there's a lot of innovation and the drug companies are charging a lot for those innovative products. And we are struggling to find a mechanism to finance that innovation and control those prices that is palatable across the board. To that end, what about the incentives that Alex Azar and Dr. Gottlieb have discussed that would discourage price increases for drugs in Part B and Part D and the possible merger of those two parts of Medicare? That's very complicated to make work. Part B is run administratively and... um, there's issues with what people have to pay out of pocket for the Part B drugs relative to Part D. Part D drugs have a different mechanism for how they're paid with the private plans. So it sounds appealing in many ways to try and think about how to merge those programs, but I actually think operationally that's going to be very, very challenging to do, and there's going to be a potential for a lot of unintended consequences related to what patients have to pay out of pocket in a range of ways. I, I, I will have to see much of this proposal, and I just say this is not a critique of the proposal, but all of these types of proposals start with aspirational goals, and then you get to broad but often vague outlines for how the goals are going to be met, and then finally you get to the detailed implementation um, regulations. And we're far from that last stage but certain aspects of how this all plays out really is going to hinge on that last stage of the details of how it plays out. And that's certainly the case in this notion of how they're going to manage Part D and Part B uh, programs. Many of the new drugs, of course, are Part B drugs because they're infused drugs and things like that. Um, I'm just, frankly, going to wait to see what they're actually going to propose because it's not transparent to me that there's an easy win in that space. How reasonable is the idea that the United States can convince its trading partners to adjust their drug prices to make the whole system fairer for everyone? I'd be astounded if worked out geopolitically, and B, I question the hypothesis that if they pay more in Canada, we will be charged less in the United States. In general, in most markets, the price is set by what the market will bear. 
uh, as opposed to the cost of research and development or some other benchmark of what the costs are. And so I don't think it is obvious that if the Canadians pay more, that the Americans would pay less in our current system of how prices are set. And, and in any case, as I said, I am skeptical that other countries will readily be willing to pay more for drugs. One of the more provocative ideas that has been discussed is more highly publicizing drug prices, including putting drug prices in TV ads. Is this realistic? Well, we've implemented a lot of policies that are less realistic than that. So I wouldn't say it's realistic. I think uh, it's unrealistic. It, it may well be realistic in terms of it's something they could do. Whether or not that would fundamentally change the prices is unclear to me. I think the pure economics of it wouldn't change the price, but it might bring a little bit more pressure politically to bear on particularly high-priced drugs. But quite frankly, I think we know that the prices for drugs are high, and certainly there's been a lot of examples of specific drugs that have very high prices. So I think the broad notion that we just need to publicize all the drug prices is you know, not one of the more effective ways to eventually lower what the drug prices are. Dr. Scott Gottlieb publicized the names of companies that have been accused of withholding samples of drugs from manufacturers that want to make generic versions. What do you think of this tactic? So there's two parts to that question. The first part, as I said in the answer to your first question about what's important in this set of proposals, are the efforts to promote competition. And the um, broad practice, I'm not sure how widespread it is, of denying access to companies that might want to enter with a generic to uh, the materials they need to do that um, fits into that basic notion of um, trying to promote competition, which I think, broadly speaking, is a good thing. The second part of your question relates to the particular mechanism that you're referring to, which is the publication of the names of the companies that are doing this. And I don't, want to, I don't have a lot of empirical evidence to suggest one way or another the impact of that type of thing, but I think it is illustrative of a broad approach of trying to shame organizations into stopping certain types of anti-competitive practices. And um, in that spirit, I think it's certainly a reasonable thing to do. The entire nature of the prescription drug market is basically a deal we make with innovative companies, which is, if you innovate, we will give you patent protection for a certain amount of time, in which time you can charge a very high price, but after that time, the drug becomes available widely at a much lower price. And frankly, we have seen that for a wide range of classes of drugs statins, a number of drugs for um, blood pressure, a number of drugs for diabetes. Um, we've really seen the entry of a lot of very good generic drugs following a period of um, innovation and very high prices. That is the way the patent system is supposed to work. Of course, many people would correctly point out that a number of actions taken by uh, manufacturers have distorted 
the pure nature of that. So all these activities are trying to discourage generic entry, for example, would fit into that category. Introducing new products with minor tweaks to them would be another example of those types of activities that the um, drug companies have taken to manage that process. And I think it's important to understand that while we would like the patent system to work better, uh, we have the patent system for a reason, and that we are always trying to balance innovation with affordability. And what I think we're hearing politically in this country is that people want more emphasis on affordability and less emphasis on innovation, or at least they believe they can have uh, more affordability with the same amount of innovation. That last point I'm a little skeptical of, although how much innovation changes, how important those changes are, um, is a matter of debate. But the bottom line is, it is probably the case that we would be better off if we had um, fewer distortions to the way in which the patent system works, enabling the entry of uh, generic drugs and um, having a rigorous market for biosimilars, for example, um, which is complicated for a bunch of reasons, to basically keep the premise alive, which is you're rewarded if you innovate, but after a certain period of time, everyone gets the, be the benefit of your innovation forevermore at a much, much more reasonable price. And we're not quite there yet. Maybe this type of shaming strategy will be one, and frankly, maybe uh, the most aggressive they're willing to do right now to address that issue. The early reviews of the administration's plan were that it went too easy on the pharmaceutical industry. Do you think that is fair? Yeah. I think compared to what could have happened, this was a lot less in terms of how um, aggressive they got to the drug companies. Now, whether that's good or bad is a, is a matter of debate. And again, as I said, there's this tension between affordability and innovation. But I think that unambiguously, this plan was less aggressive than the real critics of the pharmaceutical industry would have wanted. They would have wanted a very strong um, regulatory price-setting or negotiating strategy where the government would use its buying power to hold down the prices of drugs. And the merits of that hinge centrally on the extent to which you think the government will do a good job in any type of negotiation. I think the evidence on that point is uh, mixed. Dr. Chernu, is there anything else you'd like to add about the administration's proposals? Well, I think that um, one thing that is clear is that the high price of drugs and more broadly out-of-pocket spending for drugs and non-drug services have become a major issue in American politics. And they will force any administration to try and find solutions to the problem. And while these may be weaker solutions than many would like, if it turns out they don't address the problem effectively, this won't be the last word in how we're going to deal with um, high drug prices and high medical spending more broadly. Because I think what you're hearing, and I think what this set of proposals reflects, is that the American public um, is simply unwilling or unable to continue to spend ever-increasing amounts on healthcare services, even the very, very good healthcare services. 
and finding a way to finance that and promote innovation and uh, maintain access and affordability is going to be a challenge for many years to come. And this drug policy and drug pricing debate is just exemplary of that. Thank you, Dr. Chernu. Thank you. To learn more about the drug pricing proposal, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes.